Uh, I heard some wise person once say that you can live 40 days without food, uh, about three days without water, but you can't live one second without hope. Hope is something that we all need. And as we are in this season of Advent, uh, today I want to talk about waiting with hope. Here's something that all of us have in common. There will be, or maybe it's right now, uh, a time in your life where God seemed inattentive to your prayer requests, or maybe God was uncooperative with what you wanted God to do, or maybe it just seems like God is really, really late. In those times where God feels inattentive, uncooperative, or late in your life, what you and I need is hope. There's actually a scripture uh, that comes to us from Romans 15 and 4. This is where we're going to spend all of our time today talking about uh, waiting with hope. And it says, for whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from scriptures. Uh, what the scriptures, what the author Paul is telling us here is that there is a source of hope and it's not inside of us. There's a source of hope and it's not inside of our circumstances, but it actually comes from the stories in scripture. And man, hope is a really necessary thing. Uh, we underestimate just how much our believed in future determines how we live now. Human beings, we are always hope-based creatures. Every single decision you make is based on the hopes that you have uh, for your future and for your present. Every one of you sat down hoping that that chair would bear the weight of your life, would bear the weight of Thanksgiving and no, okay. <laughs> what we believe about our future is the main determination of how we will process and experience how we live in our circumstances now. Uh, imagine there are two men, they both have the same job. Uh, every single day they clock in at 6 a.m. and they clock out at 9 p.m. And all day, they are stuck in a factory working a menial job in a dark room in the worst conditions that you can possibly imagine. For me, my personal worst case scenario will be staring at an Excel sheet on, on my computer. That's something that drives me absolutely crazy. Whatever it is, think about the worst possible job, maybe the Knicks coach, the worst possible job <laughs> that you can have. I'm a, I'm a fan, so I'm allowed to say it, all right? If they're both paid $15,000, to work for a year at a terrible job. And now imagine one of those people is told, at the end of this year, you're gonna get a check for $5 million. That person, because he has a hope that, yes, I'll go through this year making 15 Gs, but at the end of this year, I'm gonna get a check for a couple million, it's gonna radically change the way he approaches work every single day. Whereas the other person, if he has no hope in the future of anything different than what he's experiencing today, it's gonna to crush him. Chances are he wouldn't even finish the year. Now, the only thing that is different is not what they are experiencing at the moment. What is different is their hope for the future. One hopes to have a, a huge payday. The other has no real hope for anything else uh, coming out of that. Now, it's not, the, it's not the circumstances of your life that will make you feel the way that you feel. It is not what you are experiencing now, which is framing uh, how hopeful or, or, lack of hope, or lack of hope that you feel, what actually is the best lens for you to determine um, how you are approaching what you are doing right now is what you're hoping in later. Your believed in future determines how you will process and respond to the circumstances now. You and I literally cannot live without hope. Now, there's an author by the name of Viktor Frankl, and he was a Jewish doctor who was put into the Nazi death camps in Germany during World War II. And he survived, and he came out and wrote all about his experiences. And it's interesting that this man who survived the Holocaust is writing about hope. 
If there's anyone who knows about hope, it's someone who's lived in these camps. Uh, he talked about being a doctor and how he got to witness firsthand some people who literally withered up and died. And he mentions that the reason that they died was because they had lost hope. Here's what he said. If a prisoner lost faith in his future, he was doomed. He gave an example and says, one of my friends in the camp had, an, had a dream that the war would end on March 30th. And he was convinced that on March 30th, the war would end and they would be set free and they would go home. And he was telling everyone else that the war was going to end. And as the day got closer and closer and closer, it became clear from news reports that the war was not ending. And if anything, it was actually intensifying. And on March 29th, it says he began to start running a temperature. On March 30th, he lost consciousness. And on March 31st, he was dead. His loss of hope had lowered his body's resistance to all of the diseases in the camp. Hopelessness is deadly. Now, that's a physical reality that has a spiritual parallel. In our lives, when we lose hope, it does something to our souls. It erodes us. It, it prohibits us from developing resistance in our life to the things, uh, to the diseases of this world that could attack our souls. Now, you and I cannot live uh, without it. And man, there's a couple of signs that you actually right now might be living without hope. Uh, the first is, is cynicism. Now, there's a, a level of cynicism that every real New Yorker has, right? That's a good thing. <laughs> now, I'm not coming against that. I, I want you to keep that. <laughs> but a lot of us, uh, we live a life under the umbrella of being real, of, oh, I'm just, real, I'm just realistic. I'm just a realist. And in reality, it's not that you're realistic, it's just that you've lost hope. So you approach everything through a cynical lens. Uh, you don't actually believe that God could be doing anything good with your life. And more than anything else, you probably hate it when other people are really excited and happy about stuff. Because there's a piece of you which I think envies them because they have managed to keep hope. Cynical people also have stopped praying. Now, there's some people uh, in this room, myself included, when I was kind of even preparing for this message today, I thought about some of the people that I've stopped praying for. There are people in my family, which I, I prayed for, and I still pray for when I, when I remember them, people who are, man, they're far from God. They've had some pretty rough experiences in their life and some pretty terrible ex um, uh, interchanges with church, and they've given up on, on church, on faith, on, on God, and I just still believe that God could do something in their life. I still believe that no one is out of reach, but uh, if I'm being completely honest, there are some seasons and sometimes in my life where I stop praying for them. And I, and I think one of the reasons we stop praying is because we, we don't have any hope. We don't have any hope that our, our lives or their lives or anything could actually change and be any different. Uh, Jesus tells us even in the midst of a circumstance that doesn't seem to be changing that you and I should always pray and to not give up in Luke 18 and 1 when he tells that parable on prayer to continue to pray and to not give up. Uh, loss of prayer is uh, a, a great indicator that you might be losing hope. Now, I always know that every single Sunday we have people who have made their way back to church in, in the first time in a very long time. And yo, major shout out to you guys. Um, and I'm so honored that you're here today. Uh, but it might be that you've stayed away from church for so long because you've, you lost hope in God. Maybe there was once upon a time where you, where you believed and, and you, you wanted God to do something and, he, and God just didn't cooperate with your prayers the way you wanted to, so you lost hope and that might have started actually to erode pieces of your own spiritual formation and your own understanding of who God is. 
Now, here's a, another really big and dangerous way that you know that you've lost hope is when you start to develop an alternate theology about who God is based on your circumstances. What's an alternate theology about who God is? So the Bible can say that God is faithful, and we can hear songs, great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. But in your mind, you're like, oh, no, God is not, he's not faithful. God changes. God is fickle, just like the weather. And deep down inside, maybe you'll express it and maybe you don't express it, but you truly have deeply settled theological, an alternate ending in your mind about who God is, how God operates. And the longer you carry it, the more deeply entrenched it gets into your brain. What you need is not necessarily another book to read or an argument to get into. What you need is a recovery of hope. Now, let me make sure I really define uh, why we're talking about this in Advent. Advent was a period where if you were to flip through your Bible, um, there's something called an Old Testament and a, and a New Testament, an older covenant and a newer covenant. And these two beautiful uh, sections of Scripture, uh, in between them, if you flip through really quickly on your Bible or on your iPhone, uh, what you won't notice is that there is a 400-year gap in the communication of God to his people. So what they experienced before the coming of Christ, before Matthew 1 ever hits the page, is 400 years of silence, 400 years where it didn't seem like God was doing anything in their lives. And here's why this is so important. What we've seen in Romans 15 and 4 is this, whatever was written in the past, it was written for our instruction so that you and I can develop what? Hope through the endurance that they had. We can develop encouragement through what they had from those scriptures. Now, Advent is a time where we uh, look at the book of Malachi, which ended with, surely the day is coming, a day where the Savior will come and justice will be restored, where the oppression will be over because our Messiah will be here. And then it was for, met right after that with 400 years of silence. Now, we draw a lot of hope from this story. We draw a lot of hope from this, but let me make sure that I'm really clear about what hope is. Um, hope is the ability in your mind to imagine a different future, even though your circumstances now are the same. Hope is imaginative. Hope, um, as we see all throughout the story, is the long-lasting encouragement to keep trusting in God and expecting something good for the future. Hope is the long-lasting encouragement to keep trusting in God and expecting something good for your future. Now, in a sense, it's much more than just being encouraged. Uh, you can be encouraged today and discouraged tomorrow. Hope is a long-lasting encouragement that we see all, rooted all throughout the stories of people in Scripture, and it's meant to instill something and deposit something inside of your life um, that you and I could have the same long-lasting encouragement, which drives you in every circumstance to keep trusting in God and to keep expecting something good for your future. Now, I also want to be really clear about what hope is not. And when we talk about what hope is, hope is not blind optimism. Hope is not blind optimism. Blind optimism is the belief that everything's going to be all right. And you and I, if you've lived a little bit, you know that that is not the case. And actually, the quickest way to have your, your faith completely smashed is to have blind optimism. Uh, Martin Luther King once said, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. 
So what we're talking about today in this biblical concept of hope is not one that ignores the disappointments that we, encou- that we encounter on a, on a daily basis sometimes, but we don't lose the infinite hope that Scripture is calling us to. Um, uh, the other thing hope is not is hope is not circumstantial faith. Uh, hope is not circumstantial faith. Uh, to say um, uh, circumstantial faith is basically this, that I'm believing or trusting in God based on my ability to find God in my circumstances. Um, and you always thought that God would protect you in a certain way, and then for some people, God didn't protect you in that way. You always thought that God would do X, Y, and Z, but then God does A, B, and C. And what happens in these moments where God doesn't behave the way that we thought that God should behave? What happens in these moments where we thought that God allowed something in our life that we didn't think that God should allow? Now, in these moments, I I want to challenge you that maybe what you're having is not the, the hope that the Scripture calls us to have, but rather it's a circumstantial faith. And at all of our lives, all of us at some point, and I'm sure right now, there's components of my faith that are circumstantial. Now, there is absolutely nothing wrong with praying and hoping that God does different things and and allows different things in your life. But I would caution you to not lean your entire faith against that. What do I mean by that? A lot of times when people say that they've lost faith, that they've, they've lost faith and they've abandoned God, Uh, What they're really saying is, back in the day, once upon a time, I believed that God would do this or God would never do this, and they lean their life against that. And then all of a sudden, that thing happens or doesn't happen, and then the foundation of their faith comes crashing down, and they no longer can trust in in God. And the conversation or the, the concept of hope seems laughable to them and to you, maybe. Uh, What I'm talking about today is not circumstantial faith. Um, Circumstantial faith is always extremely fragile. You want to know why? Because life is always inconsistent. Most of us in our life, um, if you were to think back to this past year, the last 11 months, just 2018, things did not go the way that you thought they were going to go, good or bad. There are things that have happened in 2018 that that have just surprised you or, or shocked you. When we look at our own ability to interpret or to forecast how things should go, man, I think that we would all recognize inside of ourselves that there's a piece of all of us that just is a really, really bad forecaster. We're just as good as a weatherman, basically. We're, we're really bad forecasters of what should or will happen in our lives. And the second reason circumstantial faith is so dangerous um, is because we're also not the best at interpreting ev- events while they're happening. One of the things that we often lack is the context of a longer period of time so that we can actually evaluate God's faithfulness to us in, in those moments. Uh, one of the best examples, I heard a preacher talk about uh, taking his child to the, uh, taking his son to the doctor's office, and they sat the, doc- they sat the kid down in the, in the chair, and it was, you know, time for a shot or some sort of immunization. And the kid is looking at his father like, yo, bro, you, you don't see that needle, like, coming for me? <laughs> And the father gets in cahoots with the doctor and starts holding the kid down. In that moment, if you were to ask that kid, does your father love you? He would be like, absolutely not. He does not love me. (laughs) He is holding me down so this lady could shank me, basically. (laughs) The kid would lack the context of the most loving thing that the father is trying to do is to keep him safe and free of diseases and to keep him healthy in, in, in life. The kid in that moment might lack the perspective of what God is actually after in his life, in our lives right now. A lot of us lose hope 
because we are depending on our ability to interpret the events that are happening right now. But I think if we're being honest, all of us can look back to a point in our life where we thought this was the way things should have gone, and now you look back two, three years later, and you say, thank you, Jesus, that that's not what happened. Thank you, Jesus, that she never hit me back. We're, we're terrible interpreters of events. Uh, and so to have a, a, a circumstantial faith where we are either relying on ourselves to interpret the circumstances that will determine God's faithfulness, a, a circumstantial faith that, that says that things have to go this way in order for God to be faithful to me is not the type of biblical hope that I'm wanting us to have, uh, that the scripture wants us to have, and that's not where we're going today. Biblical hope is this long-lasting encouragement to keep trusting in God and expecting something good for our future. And Scripture says in, in Romans uh, 15 and 4 that the root of that, the, the source of that, is not in ourselves. Now, one of the things, here's something interesting about sources. Uh, right now, there is a, a crisis and has been for the last number of years in Flint, Michigan, with the water. And they still have dirty water. You can change the nozzle. You can go to Home Depot, you can go to the most fancy kitchen store on the planet and get the most upgraded sink with diamond-crusted uh, faucets, and it's still dirty water because the source is off. The source of hope has to be a source that is reliable, that can give you good, clean, uh, consistent hope. That source is not in yourself. That source is not in your circumstances. And here's what we see that source is that, that Scripture is trying to point us to in Romans 15 and 4 again. It says, for whatever was written in the past, whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope. I know a lot of you guys probably have a complicated relationship with Scripture. Uh, if you were to put your relationship with Scripture on Facebook, it would be probably it's complicated. A lot of you want a deeper relationship with it and don't know how to approach it. Some of you don't want a relationship with Scripture at all, and you just know that it's around, and you're, you're, you're okay to listen to a sermon on Sunday, uh, but you don't necessarily feel like you can ingest this on your own or want to on your own. And for some of you other ones, uh, other people in here, uh, Scripture is something that feeds you and, you, and you know its power. You know its power to nourish you, and I want to encourage you today to be even more consistent in going to that well. And, and here's why. What was written was written for our instruction so that we may have hope. The source of the hope that God wants you to have is found in Scripture. Uh, and today we're going to go through a couple of reasons and a couple of ways from Scripture that I want to highlight, but there's so many more that I want for you guys to get that I can't give you today. So five ways that, I, um, that we can find hope and endurance and encouragement from Scripture. Uh, the, first is to remember, uh, the first reminder is that there is a natural delay between planting and harvesting. Uh, here's what we see in Scripture in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 5. It says, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven, a, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to scatter seed and a time to gather the crops. There is a natural delay in sowing and uh, in, in planting and, and harvesting. What does that mean? All throughout the Scripture, here's what the Bible teaches. There is a delay. There is a gap in between the time that a seed is planted and the time that that thing actually grows. What is this calling us to do? To be patient. 
No farmer has ever gone outside, uh, planted a seed one day, gone to sleep, and the next morning came out and looked down to see if that seed has grown. Any farmer worth their, worth their weight in salt knows that you, there's going to be a delay in what you ask for and what you actually get. Scriptures like that in Ecclesiastes 3, where it tells us that there's this delay, there's a time for planting, there's a time for harvesting, and there's a time for sowing, there's a time for reaping, it, it, it's calling us to be patient, to live in New York City, to live in the world of Seamless and Amazon Prime now. Uh, we live in the antithesis of a patient culture. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever listened to any podcast. There's one called The Daily. It's now the most um, popular podcast in the world. Renaissance is, is number two. And uh, in the podcast, they had an episode where they talked about the damaging effects of, uh, of this want-it-now culture, and they actually highlighted this fulfillment firm. Um, this fulfillment firm, basically, their company is based around getting you goods really fast. So if you order a camera or a phone from Verizon or, or some sneakers, this company literally processes uh, hundreds of thousands of goods to ship to you as fast as possible. Now, everybody's trying to keep up with Amazon. It used to be back in the day, a long time ago, five years ago, um, people were okay with waiting three or four days. Right? Like 10 years ago, you would have never laughed at the idea of waiting like four or five business days for something. But now it's completely unacceptable. Uh, they talked about this, uh, this firm and all that was happening, and they told some complete horror stories, and, and this is a trigger warning a little bit for anyone. Um, there was a woman who was just completely, completely uh, not feeling well, and she had some heart conditions, and they worked in a factory that there was no AC, and it was 100 degrees in Memphis, Tennessee, and anyone who's from Memphis or been there, you know how hot it can get in the summertime, and she died on uh, the, while she was processing people's packages. They were under such a deadline that they basically moved her body aside and told everyone to keep working. And her body laid there for hours as they had to finish their shift to continue their fulfillment. This is how toxic our culture is in relation to how much we demand things now. If you're looking to have a life where you are hopeful in the way that the Bible uh, calls us to be hopeful, I think the first thing you're going to need, need to be discipled away from is this concept that what you want, you should have it now. Right. To demand that whatever you plant, you see the fruit of that the next day. Whatever you pray for, you should have it that next day. That is not God that's telling you you should have it like that. Right. All throughout Scripture, we see reminders of people who have prayed earnestly. They followed God. And what do you see in their life? You see a delay, and that's natural. There's a natural delay between planting and harvesting. Uh, the second thing we see in Scripture um, is that God, for us to be reminded that God wants to prepare us for what he wants us to have. God wants to prepare you for what he wants you to have. There are some things that God has for you. There are some things that God has for you, no doubt about it. More importantly than the thing or the relationship or whatever it is that God has for you is you. God always puts us in, in seasons where he prepares us for the thing that he wants us uh, to have. Um, in 1 Peter 6 through 7, 1, 6 through 7, it says, You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, 
You suffer grief in various trials. Here's why this happens. So that the proven character of your faith, which is more valuable than gold, even though that's perishable, is refined by fire, so that your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, what this scripture tells us in 1 Peter is that what God is after in our life is us being matured. Sometimes God uses the fire of waiting in the crucible of time to actually refine your faith. All throughout scripture, you see what God is after in people's lives is not just something for them to have, but something for them to be. I want you to be reminded that God wants to prepare you for the things that he wants you to have. And maybe if you're hoping and praying for God to do something in your life, maybe God isn't intentionally delaying so that he can prepare you, so that you can be the type of person that is able to steward the things that God wants to give you in, in your life. Um, the third thing, that third reminder that we see in Scripture that's meant to give us more hope is that you are in great company when you're waiting on God. You are in really, really good company when you are waiting uh, on God. As a matter of fact, in the book of Hebrews, uh, the 11th chapter, when it talks about the hall of faith, all the men and women who were uh, amazing people of faith and were celebrated and remembered by God because of their faith, what does it tell us about them? It tells us that for a lot of these people, they waited and they waited and they waited and they waited and they waited on God with hope and with endurance. Now, why is this so important? So many of us feel like whenever uh, we are waiting on God or we're, we're praying and we haven't seen the fruit of what we're praying for, or maybe God is uncooperative or it feels like God is inattentive to our lives, it feels like God has us on an island, and if he really loved us, then he would give us a thing that we're asking for. Now, if you believe that, that if God really loved you, then he wouldn't give you the things that you're, then he would give you the things that you're asking for, that would be completely different then all of the people, all of the men and women in Scripture that God loved, God knew their name, God celebrated them, and they waited. You are in good company if you're waiting. All throughout the Bible, you see people, men and women, who have waited, and they are celebrated for their faith. Uh, Joseph waited in 14 years in prison for crimes that he did not commit, um, and God had something in mind for him the entire time, and he waited, hopeful and trusting in God. Moses was 40 years in the desert. Um, uh, the children of Israel waited 700 years from the prophecy of Isaiah to the realization of Jesus. Hannah waited years to have a baby. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. You are in good company when you are waiting on God. And, and if you want to find some encouragement and some hope that will give you endurance, you have to know that you are in good company if you're waiting on God. Uh, the fourth uh, reminder from Scripture, man, that we really need, is that God always keeps his promises. Now, on this, I want to be sensitive. Um, a couple weeks ago, I mentioned something about uh, prosperity theology and, and being something that is the biggest danger to, to people. And I was talking with a friend after, and he said something about it. I was like, man, that was good. I should have said that in the sermon. So I'm saying it now. Um, Prosperity theology now is not houses and cars and, you know, Lamborghinis. Um, there are some people who certainly believe that, and, but I don't think people in this congregation believe that God wants you to have a Bentley. And I, I hope that's not what you're thinking that God is after in your life. The new prosperity theology, which is way more subtle and way more dangerous, is your dreams. Wow. Now, because you dream something and because you desire something badly enough, that God kind of has to give it to you or that God wants to give it to you. 
or that God has given you every single dream that you have. Man, there's a scripture in Romans 7 where, where Paul, the apostle, the man who wrote the scripture in Romans and the man who planted more churches and uh, wrote more of the New Testament than, than any other author, Paul is talking about his own struggle with his own flesh. And he says, in my flesh, there dwells no good thing. He realized how untrustworthy he himself was. A lot of us have a lot of dreams, and some of those dreams are purely selfish ambition. A lot of us have a lot of dreams, and they're conceited. A lot of us have a lot of dreams that would elevate us above other people. And again, this is not to say that, um, that God does not want to give you good things. And, and I'm a firm believer that God does want to give you good things. But I would not tie that to my faith. I would not tether my faith to the dream that I have for my own life. Because God is not obligated to give you that dream. God is obligated to answer his promises. And God will always answer his promises. And there are promises that are rooted for us in Scripture. And um, the one promise that we are looking at in this Advent season is the promise we see in Isaiah 9 and 6. It says, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There was a 700-year gap in between the time that this scripture in Isaiah was written and the time that Jesus Christ was actually realized. In this time, man, I don't have time to, to go through all of the different promises that God made about Christ that were kept. And then you see the realization of Christ. And if you read through the New Testament, through the lens of all of the Old Testament promises about Christ, it will blow your mind. There's a book called The Unseen Realm by Dr. Michael Heiser. And it is a profound book, and it talks all about the connection uh, between the Old Testament promises of who Jesus is and will be and the realization of who Jesus is. And it is one of the most faith-renewing things that I've ever uh, encountered. And here, here's what's so powerful about this. God, we are, we are saying that God is a master craftsman, craftsman who intricately weaves all of creation to fulfilling his promises. Some in ways that seem so far-fetched, and you see how God takes all of these amazing different things and makes them into one beautiful story and, and makes them into the realization of his promises. And here's what's so important about this. God will be true to his promises in your life. And if there's anything that you should do, I would do some research and say, um, God, what are the promises that you actually have for me? What are these promises? That God will never leave you and he'll never forsake you. Uh, I've, been in, I've been in high moments in life and I've been in low moments in life. And in those low moments of life, I've needed the reminder that God will never leave me or forsake me. And one of the things that has actually kept me in those low moments and given me hope and an and ability to have an imagination for a different future than what I was experiencing were the stories of old where God kept his promises to be faithful to people. And I said, God, if you were faithful to them, if you were faithful to them, then you'll be faithful to me. And the last thing I want us to draw from this, uh, uh, from some scriptures that can root us in more uh, encouragement is, is this, that hope is rooted in God's grace. Uh, God's, what God wants for us, the type of hope that he wants for us is, is rooted in his grace, not in our performance. Uh, here's a scripture in 2 Thessalonians uh, 2, 16 through 17. It says, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us an eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, 
encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. We're told in the scripture that um, God has given us good hope by grace. Here's why this is so important. If you root your hope in your performance, then you're constantly going to be hopeless because you're going to have to perform your way into God's good, God's good graces every single day. But what if it's rooted in something different? What if the hope that God wants you to have is rooted not in your performance, but it's rooted in, in his grace for you? Man, over and over again, I'll read different stories of God's grace in the New Testament. I'll see the life of Jesus, how he interacts with people, and different stories choke me up at different times in, in life. And one of those stories is the time where Jesus is encountering the leper. And this leper, no doubt, had spent years and years and years away from his family and alienated from society in every way. And he comes to Jesus, and he calls out to him. He says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Aswan mentioned a couple of weeks ago that the reasons lepers would have to call out is because they were not allowed to get in proximity with anyone else. And Jesus approaches the one that nobody else would approach. And instead of just speaking a word of healing over him, which Jesus did do on other people, Jesus touched him. What is this meant to tell us about Jesus? That no matter how filthy you feel about yourself, no matter how distant you are from other people, Jesus will approach you. And he'll come and he'll lay his hands on you. God's hope for our lives is rooted in his grace, not our performance. Let that be the hope that drives us to trust, to keep trusting as we continue to go forward. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your, your word and just the way that you, you want to encourage us this morning. And Father, I pray that you would just give us more hope, that we would keep trusting and we keep living like you're faithful. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.